0: Episode 118 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the English author Michael Bond, who created the much-loved fictional character Paddington Bear. His Paddington Bear books have sold more than 35 million copies around the world, and they've been turned into hit television series and films. The writer of many other books and characters too, Michael Bond died in 2017 at the age of 91. This interview took place at his London home, not far from Paddington Station, in 1998, when there was a special anniversary to discuss.
1: Forty years of Paddington, can you believe it? It's quite difficult. I mean, uh, I'm not very good on dates anyway, but uh, 40 years ago, um, no, I can't believe it really.
0: How fresh are the memories of when you first conjured up the character?
1: I think uh, I still remember a, a nice feeling I had about it because I think if you're a writer, there's a little voice inside you which tells you whether something is working or it isn't working, and uh, I think you actually you ignore it at your peril. But um, I can I can remember sitting down. In those days, I lived in a one-room flat in uh, uh, Notting Hill Gate, and uh, it was one of those was a bit like living in a slightly oversized caravan because the kitchen was inside a cupboard and uh, you know if you open the cupboard doors you had to move something else to do that and get in the kitchen and so there's a case of taking my typewriter my portable typewriter out and and, and uh, putting it on the table and finding the paper and so on I can still remember sitting there uh, it was a ground floor flat and I looked out onto some gardens which were typical of, of London where you have this sort of common garden outside the room and it was a nice sunny day and I can remember sitting there with a blank sheet of paper in in, in the machine and this dreadful realisation you have as a writer that unless you put some words down nobody else is going to, you know. It was really how the book started because we had this small bear which I'd bought for my wife as a kind of stocking filler and we, we called it Paddington because I live near Paddington, we live near Paddington. And uh, I put the first words down on this bit of paper to get my mind working And suddenly it sort of clicked and I I wrote the next sentence and worked on and and, uh, found in a fairly short space of time that I'd written what became the first chapter of a book. It wasn't written for children at all. It was was written to, as I say, exercise my mind, which which I think was fortunate because I think had I thought of it as being, I didn't think it was being a book, let alone a a, a children's story, I, I might well have written down. Which I hope I never do, because I think children are very sensitive um, to that. I really wrote it to please myself, which I wish I still do. You know, I think uh, you, you're your own uh, worst or best critic at the end of the day, and if you if you please yourself, what, what more can you do? You know.
0: At the time, you were a TV cameraman, as far yes. as I understand it. Did you actually always have an ambition to become a writer, or was it just something you thought you'd do in your spare time, and then Paddington just exploded?
1: I, I had an ambition to be a writer because. I started writing when I was in the army, and I was I was in Egypt, and I was I was living in a tent, and I, um, I had access to a typewriter, and I I'd had a sort of vague ambition to do something artistic. I, my, my first artistic endeavour was before I went in the army. I actually sent a cartoon to Punch, and it was it was embarrassingly bad. It was a picture of somebody sitting behind a desk, and he had two heads, and I think the caption was, I, I always say Smithers, two heads are better than one. But, but they, they, they actually did a very nice thing. They sent it back and said, um, uh, not quite right for us, but try again. Mm. And given the fact that I, I, I can neither draw nor was it know it's a very good idea, I think it was really, very nice of somebody because they didn't kill my, mm. my ambition stone dead.
0: But did you always think, I've got to come up with something really amazing to make my mark as a writer?
1: No, not in the slightest. My first short story that I ever wrote sold, which, um, again, was very fortuitous, because if it hadn't, I, I might well have done something else, but I, I sent it to, to London Opinion. And uh, it was a very, very short story. It's was about, uh, I don't know, three or 400 words.
0: What was it concerning? It, it was a,
1: a little episode in the army, mm. and uh, took place in Cairo, and it was... Uh, in fact, when the story came out, my, I sent my mother a copy, and she wrote back saying... Uh, that she read it and she, she did hope everything was all right because it was a slightly risky story. <laughs> she was she slightly worried about me, but uh, to my amazement, some months went past and I, and I had a, a letter one day and I opened it and it was a, it was a cheque for seven guineas. And it, it said London Opinion pay Michael Bond seven guineas. And I had a terrible job to cash it because the Army Post Office didn't want to know about it. None, none of the uh, Egyptian stores wanted to cash it. I, I eventually did. I wish I'd. Although Seven Guineas was Seven Guineas at the time. I, I, in a way, I sometimes wish I'd kept it and had it framed because uh, th- there's no experience quite like yeah. sending your first story, you know. But I, I, I cashed in. And then that sort of set me on the road to wanting to be a writer and I, I realised quite early on that as I started to accumulate um, rejection slips that it wasn't as easy as it um, looked or sounded. But I was sort of slightly inspired at the time because I'd also read that Ernest only he was getting paid seven and sixpence a word for his war dispatches. <laughs> I thought, gosh, you know, seven and six a word. I'd, I'd write a lot of words for that. Did you have a funny feeling that you would one day come up with something and be
0: a great writer?
1: I don't think I did at the time. I I don't regret the, the times of when I was getting rejection slips and uh, that kind of thing, But I, I, because it was all all good grounding and, and I suppose... In a way, one of the things about writing is um, that it's most for most people it's a kind of self-taught, way of earning your living. So I I wrote short stories and articles for um, magazines and newspapers for a, for a time, and then when I came out of the forces, I I started doing radio plays for the BBC and adaptations of W. W. Jacobs' short stories and constantly looking for material I could adapt for the radio. It was a good, very good way of learning the craft because I think it gives you a sense of the geography of the whole thing and moving people around and, 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 and writing dialogue, which which I still enjoy most of all. I mean, I find if I get two characters together, often the stories almost write themselves because when, once you uh, understand the characters, they, they tend to write their own dialogue. You know, I mean, I, I never sit down and think up a story and then put characters into them, but I think if you have a character... Like Paddington, for example, you put him into a situation, and he starts saying things because that, that sort of comes out of the character. Were you
0: inspired by any stories as a child, particularly involving animals? Uh,
1: not ones in court involving animals. Though I was, I was brought up um, on uh, on Rupert. I always loved the Rupert stories. Uh, not so much the stories; I loved the rhymes, sort of tenuous rhymes they had under underneath the pictures. My main um, inspiration when I was small was the magnet with uh, Billy Bunter and Greyfriars school mm-hmm. and I used to read that my father first introduced me to the magnet one day when we went for a walk and he said "Oh, I, I used to read that when I was small I kind of resisted the idea because in a way that children and I thought well if my father enjoyed it I, I'm not going to because it's going to be a very old hat but I was totally hooked from the word go I used to read it under the clothes with a torch and read it from the top left hand corner of the front cover to the bottom right hand corner of the the back page and and uh, so much so that i felt i, I could actually write the stories myself B- because they were all like a lot of children's stories in in a way they were quite predictable i mean the characters always tend to say exactly the same things mm. all the time they, they were very repetitive but i mean i think children like repetition in their stories they, they, they like the kind of safe feeling yeah, it yeah. gives them mm. uh, i mean bob cherry always said hello hello hello, and it was always mr the angler and master of the remove and and it was the headmaster, it was Dr. Locke, the Venerable Bead, and <laughs> was quite a lot of repetition. But but uh, I was totally enthralled by them. I suppose one's favourite character was Billy Bunter, who, who wasn't the best sort of person in the world. I mean, <laughs> he, was, he was always expecting a postal order and never actually paid anybody back if he, if he borrowed the money and that kind of thing.
0: As you explained, you were inspired by a bear that you bought for a Christmas present from Selfridges. Yeah. Do you still have that bear?
1: Uh, yes, it belongs to... Uh, I, I gave it to my first wife, and we, we sort of share the custody. Um, I mean, he's he's still very much alive to both of us, and so sometimes he stays with her, sometimes with, with me. and uh, So, yes, he's still very much around. Is there some grand ceremony, then, where you
0: take it over to her house and she brings it over to yours?
1: No, no it happens when we... Um, because she, she lives in uh, in Surrey and Hazelmere. There comes a moment when I, I say, well, would you like to have, have him for a while, or she says the same to me, and... Or if she's going away, and uh, she doesn't want to take it. it, it it's 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 sort all of a very amicable arrangement, and uh, you know we take it as it comes. <laughs>
0: what about the famous row that's going on at the moment with regard to Winnie the Pooh in the New York Library? Do you think that that should be reclaimed for Britain, or what, what's your opinion on that?
1: No, I I think it's rather silly because the fact the truth of the matter is that uh, an offer was made by um, by the New York Library to take care of it. Nobody in England could have done so at the time otherwise it would probably stay in england i think it's probably got a very nice home there um very well looked after and and uh, why shouldn't they continue that way i mean i don't think we have any great claim on it if we well like i send all my papers to a university in boston that's uh, simply because they, they asked if they could have them one day and nobody in, in england asked otherwise i'd have sent them somewhere in england so i i think that's the kind of thing that's blown out out of blown up out of all proportion by by newspapers really
0: when you first created Paddington what were your expectations of the character and everything that would come with it?
1: Well as I say it wasn't written as a children's book. I sent it to my agent who said he liked it. but well, he said P.S. there aren't any bears in Africa because I'd put the painting came from darkest Africa. Mm. So I had to do a bit of research and, and then hit on uh, darkest Peru. Well there are some bears still left in Peru a few pairs and and I thought, well, DACA's Peru, um, nobody's going to be able to ask much about them. So I was on fairly safe ground. So I felt very pleased with it. And and I don't think I would change change anything about it today were I to have the opportunity. But I didn't, I, in no way did I picture what was going to happen to it. Uh, and in fact, for a period of several years, um, it, it, it jogged on its way. It It got on one or two... Uh, recommended library lists and uh, first printing sold out, which was um, which was very good at the time. And the publishers were pleased enough to say, "Would I write a second? But I didn't picture it going onto television. I didn't picture all the things that would follow on from that uh, of necessity. So it was it was quite a gradual thing, really. Uh, I wrote a book a year for about the first six years, and then there was a gap, and and uh, it, it became slightly more difficult to write because I think with the first book that you write of a series you establish certain parameters which are there for better or worse for forevermore and Paddington's world is really basically around Notting Hill Gate and, and so on so I got to a point where unless I had enough ideas to fill a book I I didn't do it because I, I, I didn't want to get into the situation of scraping the barrel as it were so I think it's just a case really of of carrying on living, and and ideas come to you. you, can turn a corner, or you can be on top of a bus, or, or whatever. And you think, what would happen if, if Paddington was doing this? And then suddenly, it all starts to, to gel, and you start writing the story. And the the, the biggest problem with the Paddington stories, is really getting him into trouble, and getting him into a mess, and then, uh, getting him out of it really, in, in such a way where he, goes unpunished. You know, I mean, he he you know, there's usually some tenuous reason why he doesn't get punished is a, an uh, insurance clause where somebody benefits or something silly some mm. like that. Where did the marmalade sandwiches come from? Was that something you'd enjoyed as a child? I didn't enjoy it as a child. I think a lot of children don't actually enjoy marmalade because it's, mm. uh, it's, it's, it's it, in the jam world it's a fairly sophisticated taste I think because it's being a slightly bitter, you know. Uh, I hadn't read Winnie the Pooh when I wrote Paddington but I was aware that bears liked sweet things. And so rather than give him honey, I, I gave him marmalade because I, by that time I was having marmalade for breakfast. And, and I wrote the first book really very quickly and I put in all sort of things fairly instinctively. Marmalade was one of them. And I, I mean, there has been times in my life when I wish I'd I made it something slightly more exotic, like I don't know I truffles or whatever, you know, because people used to send me jars of marmalade and still do from time to time. but. In the nature of things, they often weren't very well packed and they they had to go and collect them from the post office, this terrible parcel with bits of glass sticking out and <laughs> marmalade chunks and so on. And things like the painter's duffel coat, I gave him a duffel coat because I was wearing one at the time. I was wearing a government surplus ex-Navy duffel coat. And uh, so, uh, as I say, a lot of things were put in instinctively, really.
0: You were saying that you didn't plan a big campaign for Paddington so how shocked and surprised have you been over the years at the way he has set the world alight?
1: Well, in a funny kind of way it tends to happen on a different plane. I mean, in the nature of writing, you you, you write a book and it's a slow process of, I mean, you write the book and it goes off to the publisher and sort of six months later you get a a set of proofs and they they say, can we have these back by next Tuesday in order to keep up with their schedule? You don't know what's happened to it in the meantime, but so the whole process of, 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 of writing, by the time the book comes out, you're working on something else. So in a way, it sort of crept up. It, it didn't happen overnight. What, what did make a big change is when it first went onto television because, in the nature of things, animated films are expensive to make. And so in order to get their money back, the, the people making the films have to have a degree of merchandise. And if it happens to be a character that takes off, then suddenly you find everybody knocking on your door wanting to to use the image. The company who made Paddington had just made the Wombles, and I think the Wombles was really the first children's programme on BBC television that had a big breakthrough with merchandise, and Paddington followed on from behind. And there was a period when uh, there weren't enough hours in the day to uh, do all the things that meet all the demands there were being made of, of writing new scripts and bits of text for p- packs of packets and things like that. Uh, and I did have a period when I was doing very little actual c- creative writing, but that got sorted out eventually, and so I'm, I'm back to uh, back to normal. But a lot of the things that I see around, although I know they exist, um, they, they, they sort of, it's in another part of my life, you know. It's, it's not, um, it's, it's all slightly remote in a way. Who are the Browns based on? Is that you? Uh, no, the Browns really were my mother and father, I suppose, looking back on it, although I wasn't consciously doing it at the time. But uh, my mother would certainly have taken pity on Pat on a bear if she'd trained him on plane station with a label in his neck saying, Please look after this bear. My father was very law abiding. He, he was somebody who always read the small print on, on things. And um, I, th- I think he would have been slightly worried about. W- whether they were doing the right thing, whether it was against the law or not, you know. So in in a way, although my, my father was the breadwinner, but my mother was the one who made decisions in life when we went on holiday and that kind of thing, and, and, and she paid the bills and and so on. So they're very much like the bairns in, 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 in the book. Well, you have two children yourself. Were they
0: based on Jonathan and Judy?
1: Uh, no, no, because um, Jonathan and Judy came first. Um, yeah, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's right, right yes, yes. Um, Yes, because again, because I did the first book fairly quickly, I thought it would be nice if the variants had two children, one of each, to sort of create a kind of balance. But did your own children inspire you? Is really what I meant. You know, later on, when no, I mean, I find I think one of the things about if you're a writer is that you you tend over a period of time to use anything and everything that happens to you know. I mean, it might not be for some years later, so that. There are things that that happen which uh, trigger off ideas for stories, or maybe often stories, I think, are a mixture of a number of things which suddenly come together and gel and and come out as something totally different. So if if anything happened to to my children that uh, was material, it would probably go into a little storehouse and come out at some other point. Whenever I wrote a, a new book, I didn't show it to my daughter or read it to her, because I think a, a book, particularly a children's book, is 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 more than just rather unglamorous text um, from a typewriter. It's the illustrations, it's the feel of the paper and the cover and the feel of the whole thing. So the first she saw of it was um, was when it came back from the printers as as a book. So I, I never tested it. I never tested the stories on anyone. I, I still don't. We all remember with great affection Michael Horden's brilliant narration
0: of the TV yes. series. Were you ever asked to do the narration?
1: I, I've done the narration um, on uh, on records. I'm not a very good reader because, well, I suppose most people hate their own voice when they hear it, but I, but I know my voice. Sometimes when I did the records, I found myself acting way like mad as I thought, and then the producer would come through and say, can we have a bit more expression, you know? Can we do that again? So it's not my particular forte. I think writers on, on the whole should be read and not not heard, you know. How protective
0: of Paddington are you about the copyright, what gets made out of Paddington and all that sort of thing?
1: I, I was very protective in the beginning. Um I had high hopes of having twelve very good licensees and that, that would be it. But um that was a that was a sort of pie in the sky attitude, or Pipe Dream, because the truth of the matter is that so many people are involved with the whole thing by then, and, and uh, that they all need to get their I- investment back, qu- quite rightly, so other factors to take over. I-, I was very protective of what he appeared on um, there. It's, it's not my particular um, pigeon there, because other people look after it, but uh, it's, it's a bit like, if you create a character like pandan it's a bit like your own child. You are protective, and mm-hmm. But there's a time when you realise it has to go out in the world and earn its own living. And I've always felt with Paddington that he's um, rather more than I am. He's he's capable of taking care of himself. He's got his feet firmly on the ground, and uh, he's not going to be phased by anything. In fact, when I, if ever I had any problems with with merchandise in the early days, and I was sort of wavering as to whether it was right or wrong, I would, in a curious kind of way, I used to think to myself, what would what would Paddington think of it? If I felt he'd like it, then that was fine. That was the answer to the question, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever almost feel that he does exist? Well, I think I think you have to. If 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 I met and going along the street, I wouldn't be at all surprised. <laughs> but then I think if an author doesn't believe in his characters, nobody else is going to. And it's and I think nearest kind of analogy I can think of is um, belief in Father Christmas, really, because we all know our, our common sense, our intelligence tells us that he doesn't exist, but we still. Sort of perpetuate the whole myth with with small children, and so say you must come and see father Christmas and so on and there's a little corner in your mind which um in a way I suppose wants him to exist. you know to me, Paddington is very real I think if he wasn't i, I couldn't write the stories. Have you had any very memorable moments regarding children that you've
0: met over Paddington?
1: Oh, I think probably not so much the ones i I've met because i think if if the time you meet children really are maybe at book signs or whatever and they um they almost always by the time they get to the table they they usually dry up you know and and uh, you hear this tiny voice and you can't quite hear what they're saying and you've the the mother has to repeat the name and so on and they want. i mean on that subject I have no I've had occasions when uh, I, I've signed a book and, and there was one occasion in in New Zealand when I was doing a book signing the child burst into tears because He'd always been told he mustn't write in a book, and there was this awful man taking his book and was writing. You know, mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing. And the nicest things probably come from children who write. I mean, I, I can remember I had a letter once, a long time ago, from a small child, a girl who, who said what she liked about Paddington was they they made, they made pictures in her head, and I thought that was a very nice thing to say, really. And I thought um, it, it was a it was a, it made me feel it was a compliment. You know, I mean, I think. I think with reading, and I think with radio, probably to a lesser extent, you, you've got to give something to it. I mean, if you, if you, the act of reading a book, you've got to to give something to the book to actually make you pick it up, and it's rather like going to the theatre. I think one of the problems with television is that you don't have to give a lot; you can just sit there and switch on, and there it is. All children who write in get a, get a find out to get an answer, and I, I know it means a lot to a, a lot of children because sometimes you meet them years later in life and somebody will say, oh, I wrote you a fan letter, you know, 15 mm. years ago, and, and, and you wrote back, and I've, I've still got the letter, and mm. that, that's always very pleasurable. And I had a letter from somebody once who said I'd replied, and he said uh, he, he was so, so excited because it was a real letter, because he felt behind the paper, and he could feel the bumps from the typewriter, you know, mm. and you suddenly realise it means a lot to, mm. lot to people. Have you ever wished that you <laughs> hadn't invented Paddington? No. No, I've never wished that, because uh, I, I'm, I'm, it's so much a part and parcel of my life. It would be like saying I wish I hadn't been born, in a sense. Um, there was a period in my life when uh, everything was happening, and as I s- said earlier, there weren't enough hours in the day, and I wonder what I'd done, because you realise you've kicked a ball, and there's, there's no stopping it. You, what most you can do is sort of keep it in, in play, and try and point it in the right direction. But... Uh, no, I, no, certainly w- wouldn't be without him.
0: Because I mean, you're an author of many different types of books, and not yeah. just Paddington. And people probably just think you spend your whole days writing about Paddington, don't they?
1: Yes, I, th- I think people have a always have a strange idea about writers. Well, so it's not strange. Why, why, why should they? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, but writing is actually quite a lot of hard work. I mean, I've, I get an idea for a story, and it, and it feels great, and I can I can see it all. And the very first words you put down, as I'm sure you know. As well as I do, are wrong. They're not as, as quite as good as you pictured. And from that moment on, it, it's uh, it, it's it's hard work. It's a process of distillation, really, and finding the right words, particularly with with humorous books, which are what think are meant to be. It's a case of one one word is funny, another word isn't. And uh, I, I also find now, now I use a word processor that uh, I, I never stop writing because. It's great that you can sit down at your desk and switch it on. There are all the words on the screen. You can start work. But there's nothing that I write these days where if I don't look at the words on the screen, I don't want to change something, whether it's a comma or a, a word, whatever. At one time, when you used to type stories on, I mean, in the old days, I had an old-fashioned typewriter, which was actually quite. If you go back to one now, I find I, I touch the keys. They don't even hit the paper. <laughs> You've got to hit them quite hard. And if you had five sheets of carbon paper, whatever, you didn't make mistakes. I can't type a sentence these days without, without uh, being a mistake. In it cause it's so easy to correct. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't. But with spell checks and things like that, it doesn't do my uh, actual writing much good.
0: Have you ever tried to create another great character like Paddington?
1: Well, I suppose one always does. I, I write other ca- children's books. As a, before I um, went on television, I'd done a series for television called The Herbs. Which is how I met Ivor Wood, who animated because uh, he, he made those, and he animated uh, the Romualds and then Paddington. Uh, I do a series about a guinea pig called Olga de Polga, who, who is actually, that's based on a real guinea pig. I think bears always have the edge on other animal characters in in children's books. I think partly because they are semi-humanised anyway in, in terms of actually standing on their two feet and that sort of part way to being human. So there's something about them. And there's also something slightly mysterious about bears. I mean, in centuries past, they were they were worshipped as, as gods. And I think they're not like dolls where they're probably always thinking about what they're going to wear next or something like that. I mean, I think you have a bear stand, A lot of people have a painted bear standing up in their room, and it's a kind of father figure they can relate to, and he's a sort of a presence that you can you, you can tell your secrets to. And uh, so, I think in that sense, as far as animal characters go. Um, the bear is a kind of natural, um, a natural character. I, I write a series of detective stories about a character called Monsieur Pom who's a French detective. In fact, I'm working on one at the moment, number twelve. So it's nice to have several characters. I mean, I think one of the pluses of being an author is that you're never actually alone. You know, mm. if um, if I'm walking along a street, I say, a painter might turn a corner." He's there as a sort of presence, as a, as most of my other characters are. You know, Mister Pomfret is there, and he's got a dog called Pomfret who's there. And <laughs>
0: you once said that, at uh, least you were quoted as saying that one of the reasons why Paddington became so successful was because he's his own man. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, I think he, I think he is. I think he goes his own way. I mean, I think um, in, in a way, though I'm, I'm not Paddington, I don't think he has a he has a bad life. I mean, there he is in this nice house. His meals are supplied he has a bit of pocket money he's got a few good friends he sees under when when he wants to rather than when they want to although he's very accident prone he's, he's got a well well ordered life and and I think in a sense he gets his own way you know he 's not put down very easily so I suppose that's what I meant meant at the time uh, nothing's going to change him. I think the world changes I don't think I don't think Pannington does I think he he changes in the sense that the story changed because he's he moves with the times in, in in the sense of what happens to him. I don't think he'll ever be computerized because I think it's very difficult with pause. You put your pause down, you print about ten letters at the same time, but <laughs> uh, this terrible buzz comes from the inside. But um, I think he goes back when he goes back to thirty-two Windsor ago, he goes back to a sort of pre-war world that I remember as a child. And I think it's I think a lot of the qualities. He has a, a qualities that people are slightly envious of. I mean, I, there aren't any messages in in the paint and books, but I think any messages that there are kind of implicit in the text. I mean, he's basically a polite bear. It's never said that he's polite, but it, you know, when he meets somebody, he raises his hat, and uh, and I think there's a lot of a lot of the things that he does are uh, there's a distinct lack of in, in the present day world. I mean. You could stand in Oxford Street and hold a door open in Selfridges all day and nobody would, nobody would say thank you. They all speak as if, if it's their right. and I think it's very sad. You mentioned the address, 32 Windsor Gardens. Yes.
0: Does that actually exist?
1: Uh, no. I lived in, when I was in Reading, where I was brought up, I lived in a, a, a street um, road called Windsor Drive. I quite like the name Windsor. I checked at the time when I wrote the book... Afterwards, I checked that there wasn't a Windsor Gardens in London. But in fact, there is now. Um, but fortunately, there aren't 32 houses. It's quite a short street. Mm. But I get letters from children just addressed from all over the world, addressed to um, and Bear, 32 Windsor Gardens, London, that kind of thing. They, they, they get to be rather quick if they had a postcode. <laughs> so, uh,
0: so someone in the post office has your address and just redirects all those y- ones yes. to you? Yes.
1: Yes, and that's been going on for for, for a long, long time. I mean, we're not just when I'd been living in London. When I lived out of London, I used to, used to get redirected. Um, the, the, they're very good on things like that, you know.
0: So it's very fortunate that there's no one at a genuine 32 Windsor Gardens because they'd be inundated, presumably. Well,
1: exactly, yes. It'd be terrible, it? very great embarrassment. I'd be constantly readdressing letters. Mm. <laughs> mm.
0: Yeah. How many letters would you say you get
1: I get less these days than I used to. At one time, never a, a post-delivery went past without, um, without... I got a letter. I mean, I had a couple today. that is that sort of thing now. I mean, I think children, or most people, not just children, write much less these days. They don't write letters. Everybody does it on email. And it, mm. I mean, I think if Pennington was on email, he might get a lot of, lot of things through the email, but mm. I, unfortunately I'm not. But,
0: I looked at the uh, internet this morning and there's 1,250 websites about Paddington.
1: (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah, involving him, yeah.
0: yeah. A lot of it to do with sales and merchandise and books and all that sort of
1: thing. thing 1,250 is extraordinary. Yeah. Do
0: you get treated like a VIP wherever you go in the world because of Paddington?
1: From time to time I do. I think Paddington gets treated more as a VIP than I do. I mean, I went on a signing tour for a couple of weeks in Australia some years ago. And and for my sins, I had to carry a plane to bear around with me. And he was always getting invited up to the flight deck, and I would take him up, and 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 I would leave him up Then And a message would come down near the end of the flight saying, "Paddington wants to land a plane. Do you mind if he stays up?" <laughs> you know. And if he went up there, you you see Paddington strapped in the in the spare seat, and the the crew would be talking to him, and uh, it totally as if he existed, you know, which was which was quite fun. But uh, that was directed at Paddington rather than <laughs> rather than me. I wasn't allowed up there. Do you always carry a Paddington around with you in some form uh, no I, uh, the, the, the original one was quite a small bear and he, um, he he comes on holiday if we go away or so he's, he's i think both my wife and I would um, would feel it'd be wrong to leave him behind while we were going away and enjoying ourselves mm. so he he's, he's sort of um, he would come around but i don't uh, i don 't live surrounded by Paddington bears. Mm.
0: Obviously, your first wife was part of the conception of yeah. Paddington Bear. Did your second wife just had to get used to all the...
1: Well, I, yes, I suppose she did, really. I, I took for granted that she was... <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose if she hadn't, she wouldn't be my second wife. But, uh, and, and she worked for my, uh, for, for my agent when, when we met, so uh, she, she sort of knew about him anyway. Mm. Yeah.
0: And what do your children do?
1: My daughter, who's now who's the same age as Pennington, she was she was born the same year the first book came out, Karen, yeah, she's in fact looks after the original painting company now. So she was brought up with paint and uh, has been part, part and parcel of her life as well. My son's at university. Name's Anthony, A-A-N-T-H-O-N-Y. Uh He's studying the classics, uh, Latin and Greek. Not quite sure where he gets that from. But it, well, he he obviously again was was brought up with painting, and so to some extent, it's, it's it's part of his life too. I mean, painting is very much part of the family.
0: Yeah. Are your children likely to carry on
1: writing your books in you know,
0: decades to come?
1: Who who knows? Uh, I didn't expect my daughter to be looking after the company because I don't think one should expect one's children to unless they do what. Um, one does oneself, but she, she came into it quite by accident, um, as a sort of stopgap between jobs, and uh, decided she liked it, and, and so she, she she's very good looking after Payne's interests. But who knows what, what what the future holds? Really, as far as I'm concerned, I've I've got a very good new illustrator, Bob Alley, American, who's really breathed new life into uh, into the pain of books because I think his drawings. Are in the same sort of vein as the original Peggy Fortnums, and they make me laugh, which is which is a big plus, and they add to the text, which uh, which I think is very important with children's books. So th- there are a whole lot of new books in the pipeline, which is which is exciting.
0: Do you feel that um, there was some sort of sense of destiny that you should be chosen to create this amazing character, which has become so popular?
1: I wouldn't go as far as to say that. I, I sometimes do think that things have a sort of pattern in life, that some things seem sort of preordained. I think, as I said earlier with, with my writing, I find sometimes you turn a corner and you maybe see a street sign, you hear a snatch of conversation, and it changes your direction, and, and almost as if it's preordained. But I, I don't know that I've ever had a sense of destiny, because that would be the wrong thing to say, I think. I,
0: what do you put it down to? Luck, then, do you think?
1: Well, I think everybody has luck in their lives. I think some people take advantage of it, some people some people don't. I mean, a lot of people say to me, oh, you're very lucky. Well, yes, I am lucky. Uh, but but uh, I, I think if you're a writer, you you notice things, whereas other people don't. I mean, the same thing is happening to them. But I think if you're a writer, you, you tend to develop your mind in a way that, takes a note of what's going on around you know i think an awful lot of people walk along a street with their eyes on the pavement and they don't see either the right or the left or, or or look up i think whatever job you do in life your, your mind if you, i mean if you're a bank clerk you get very numerous and, and recognize people's signatures and so on if you're a taxi driver in london anyway you have to do the knowledge and so you've got to mention each street and actually go there so your mind's developed in that way what percentage of your life
0: would you say paddington is
1: for a long time it was it was practically hundred percent of my waking life i mean for some years nowadays at the moment I'm working on a an adult novel which is t- taking up most of my waking time uh, so that the painting and the things are- f- fairly small percentage if I do another or work on another television series and again it be back to a very high percentage it's he's always there and I think uh, I think if you're a writer, your characters do. You tend you tend to carry them around with you. I mean, I, I I think living with a writer must be fairly difficult. Because I know sometimes I, if I'm having my dinner or whatever at home, my mind is not on my dinner; it's on dialogue. And mm-hmm. and and I know my wife sometimes says things to me and says, "Well, oh, you're not listening." I, well, I'm not because <laughs> I'm thinking about work. I, I I think you can get to be a sort of Workaholic. If you're if you're working on a, a book or anything fairly lengthy, because you, you just it's, I wake up in night. I'm 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 ten when I wake up, which is often about four o'clock in the morning. I'll, I'll, I'm suddenly awake and my mind's full of what I want to do, and I get up and start working. And, uh, and that's not a grumble. It's just a sort, sort of fact fact of life. And I, I like working early in the morning. Uh, but I'm also a great believer in the subconscious. Uh, I find sometimes if I have a problem which is not solving itself. I mean, a writing problem in some strange way. You go to sleep and, and, and you suddenly you, you wake up in the morning and suddenly there's this line of dialogue or a clue to what you're going to do. And uh, Unless you write it down there and then, it, it, it can disappear like a will-o'-the-wisp. Uh, and so I always keep a pad by the bed.
0: Yeah. How often in the middle of the night do you wake up and <laughs> jot something down?
1: I would think most nights if I'm working on something. Um, the present book I'm working on... Depends a lot, being a detective story, on c- complexities of plot and and uh, lines of dialogue and so on. And I would think most nights I would wake up at some point and jot down a couple of lines.
0: You say that you work first thing in the morning best, is that right? Did I hear you right on that one? And how many hours do you work? Do you have a routine every day or what happens? I, uh,
1: for, I can't remember when I didn't work seven days a week. I mean, if I go away on the holiday, I tend to take my work with me. I go to France a lot. the The, the Mr. books are set in France, so if I go on a holiday, I tend to be looking for material at the same time, uh, which is nice. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, it's not work with a capital W, but mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm using the time productively. I tend, if I'm working on a on a book, I'll I'll maybe start work at perhaps five in the morning. And there are days when I I still. Working at a word processor at five o'clock in the evening—that's—that's that's actually too much. I've—I've I've now got a routine where I, I take ten minutes off every hour, and uh, otherwise you get you get eye strain and and so on. But uh,
0: how many books do you turn out a year now compared to how you did when you perhaps in your earlier days?
1: Well, I a, a novel would take me perhaps three months. Uh, I do when it comes to the Paddington books, I, I tend. It's such a long process. It's it's very difficult to give give a time to it. People say, "Hey, how long does it take to write a book?" Well, if you count the thinking time, probably quite a long time. Uh, if you just count it from when you you actually start work, and I think most writers put off starting work. I mean, the the, the thinking about a book and jotting down notes and sharpening the pencils and everything else is is um, is actually very often a way of putting off actually. Putting words down on paper because you know very well, as I said earlier, that they're going to be wrong. So it's very difficult to put a put a length of time. But I would say, the Paddington books these days, or the Paddington stories, take longer than they did in the beginning. Because I think one of the nice things about starting as any kind of series is you can can actually work very quickly because you've got no parameters to work to. You you just go whatever direction your mind takes you. Recapturing that it becomes more difficult, and you have to work. Quite hard at it, but not too hard. So it, so it looks as if you're trying to recapture it. You've got to try and keep the freshness, which is probably the difficult part. But they get progressively longer, because also with um, with something like Paddington, you, you get to a terrible state where you're wondering if you're repeating something, some line of dialogue that you said said before, and yet you've got to make it in a, in a sense repetitive because children like the familiar. You know, as I said, with 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 the magnet, the characters t- tended to say the same things, but uh, in a slightly different way or in a slightly different situation. If it didn't say Billy, I say you fellow squeak Billy Bunter, there'd be something wrong with it. And it was, but it was always I say you fellow squeak Billy Bunter, <laughs> and if you, if he said if he didn't say squeak, uh, said said or yelled or whatever, it wouldn't sound right. So there's a sort of mixture of re- repetition and uh, but in uh, new situations. How many do you reckon a year then? You
0: turn out as
1: it were well i and and the total number of books uh, i've written is I, th- I think coming up to about 150 how many of those are paddington books i would think about i think i've probably done about 70 paddington books but that's gives a slightly false impression because the the novel length ones are sort of the basis of the whole thing and there's about 13 of those and then uh, about another 30 or I, I suppose 30 or so picture books original stories then there were a lot of books which were actually sort of spin-offs from the original for the television series. So, in, in a sense, um, they, they were more or less a case of t- doing adaptations. I've done a lot of radio uh, television scripts, I suppose, hundred or so original scripts, and uh, then one, one has an involvement in the, in, in the television series, so it's, it's not original.
0: Would you ever consider killing Paddington off?
1: No, 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 never, no. I did... Uh, in the sixth book I thought that that was going to be it and I didn't actually kill him off but I sent him back to Peru and, and I didn't picture him coming back but uh, I, I soon brought him back. It's a bit like Sherlock Holmes, you know, mm. trying to kill him. I, I, I think um, I saw Evelyn Wolf talking about it the other week and he said uh, you should never never, ever kill off your characters mm. <laughs> and that's true and I, I wouldn't want to even if I didn't write about Pallion he'd still be there in my, uh, in my mind and in my life I think. Remind us what else you write about, apart from Paddington. I do a series about uh, a guinea pig called Olga de Polga, and and they were fun to do because she's a totally different character, and talking about parameters in books, because she lives in a hutch, uh, her her, her horizons are very very small, so she has to tell tales, very fanciful tales, to the other animals she gets involved with, and uh, that was a much more difficult process. Um, But in fact quite a challenge and I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing them and I, I hope I shall do some more Olga books at, at some point I did some books about a mouse called Thursday I did for of those, four, four novel length books, I, I um, did a series for television called The Herbs quite a long way back but that's still being shown and I do um, a detective series set in France, with a character called Mr. Pompermousse who's an ex rather we might say a defrocked Ex-member of the and he's he's now a food inspector. So wherever he goes, he gets involved in a crime of some kind. Mm. And then there've been various single books, um, uh, books for children, uh, just the one-off books.
0: But you've done a lot of adult books as well, haven't you? Uh, yes.
1: Yeah, so they're, they're um, my started off writing for adults. Uh, I, I did a lot of radio plays, and uh, and the, the Mister Pumphrey's books are for for adults, of course. Mm. Yeah.
0: You mentioned earlier there's a
1: Paddington Company. When did that get set up and what's it called? Uh, It's called Paddington Company. um, And Company. And Company, yeah. When Paddington first went onto television, 1972, I think. For various reasons, it it, um, seemed sensible to form a company and I I wanted to divide the different aspects of Paddington. There there were stage rights and there were film rights and there were uh, music rights and so on. So I, I... Formed a company, which which was basically to to handle that side of it, uh, and it was just a, simply a matter of convenience yeah. really. Mm. What do you do when you're not uh, writing? There's not much of my time when I'm not writing. Mm. <laughs> uh, what do I do? Well, I'm I'm interested in photography. I'm interested in travels, particularly to France. I go to France a lot. Uh, I'm interested in wine and food, which which really partly arises out of the. The adult books I do because the central characters are food inspectors, so it takes them around eating in around France. And I I, I enjoy the garden when, when I've got the time. I enjoy reading. That, that's it really. Mm. Uh, this last weekend I've had the three grandchildren staying with me. So are they Paddington fans? Do you read them stories? They're Paddington fans. Uh, in fact, when they came this last weekend to stay, they were watching some some Paddington films and and, and enjoying them. I know my grandson, Harry, he he was a walking kind of agent for me at one time because when he first discovered I wrote Paddington, if he went into a supermarket, he he would go up to the lady at the cash desk and say, my papa writes the Paddington books, you know. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think he does it quite so much now, but uh, again, he's very real to them, I think.
0: Do you ever imagine what you'd have done if you hadn't created Paddington, if you hadn't become a writer?
1: It's, it's very, very hard to say. I'm... I'm a bit of a perfectionist so I think whatever I did I would want to have done properly. If I had any dreams of what I would like to have done which I, I'm, I'm talking about things which I'm not capable of doing I, I, I think one of the things which must be wonderful would be to write a really good mu- stage musical I think to actually <laughs> actually see all this happening on the stage and to know it's working and to be filling a house every day with people having time to hear to hear Aaron Boys singing your song um, I think that must be my sort to turn on the radio and uh, and hear your, your music being played I mean if you're a writer it's very rarely that you actually see people reading your books it has happened to me I was in a restaurant once it was one of these restaurants where you have sort of um, sections you know little cubby holes where people sit and I was sitting in one and there were two guys from the city of London who came in to have lunch they started talking about Paddington and they were rolling about as they re- re- recounted various adventures that and had and it, w- it was a lovely experience did you let them know you were there i didn't in fact no i often wonder whether i should but i, I didn't really want to um prolong the whole thing you know i was i was, I was in a hurry but it was interesting while it lasted what ambitions do you have for Paddington now i think it would be the one th- area which he hasn't done is is a feature film and i think Again, rather like the stage idea, if you saw your name on the credit for a film in the cinema, would, that would be... Because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a film... Not buff, but I'm a film addict. I mean, I like the cinema. Uh, I think that would be be a very nice development. Whether that will happen or not, I, I don't know. I mean, he's he's done most things. Uh, he's been on the stage, and, and I to me it never totally works because mm-hmm. you've always had the problem of Paddington himself. You know, somebody's got to dress up and be Paddington, and it never quite... It comes off to me.
0: How long do you think you will carry on writing for?
1: Well, I used to think one of the nice things about being a writer was that you didn't have to retire. And I, I still think that because I'm past retiring age. I've come to realise in, in, in recent years that nobody expects you to retire. If you're a tall creative, they think you're an ever-open tap. And I'm busier now than, than I've ever been. And that's, again, not a grumble, but there are times when it would be... Quite nice, of eased off a bit, uh, but I think I shall I shall carry on writing until uh, until I can't do it anymore for whatever reason. I, I enjoy writing. I mean, I think the act of writing can be a sort of form of purgatory. But, um, it's a sort of love hate relationship, but it's it's um, it's a bit like a construction job in a way. I mean, to me, it's like um, a craftsman making a a cabinet or something, whatever it is, whether it's a a children's book or an adult book, I, I do it to the best of my ability. And uh, if I somebody said to me, what would you have in your grave? I, I think something like he was a professional writer would be very nice because I I hate, I like professionalism in whatever I do. Uh, and I, I, I always try and do things as well as I possibly can.
0: I was going to say, do you not mind the fact that you'll always be associated with Paddington long after you've gone?
1: I think that's. I think that's rather. They're, they're worse fates. I think <laughs> they're worse fates. No, I think it would be um, something uh, one would like I, I, in, a, in a romantic sort of way. I think if I thought people were coming to look at my gravestone and saying, "Oh, that's where the man who wrote Pallington was, was buried," it would be it would be quite nice. I, I I don't like the thought of going off into oblivion and you know having just created a slight ripple on the surface, as um, as I suppose most people do really.
0: What about people turning your house into a museum one day?
1: Well, that, that, that probably won't, won't bother me, because I, I shan't be there to care about it. <laughs> well, who, who knows? You, who knows what happens after you die? You might be looking down on it and thinking, my God, what have they done to my house?